One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone, voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's six, and Kenny, he's three. I almost said two. He's three now. Yay! And I have three kids. Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. (laughs) And they're so adorable. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or sometimes awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. I want to tell you about my main Potterhead, Libby. She has been getting downloadable audiobooks from the library so she's had the harry potter books read to her mostly by jeremy she's read all of them herself and now she's listening to them uh audiobook style and she just like walks around with the ipad clutched to her chest and then she'll sit down and, you know, like play with toys for a while and listen or like do a craft or whatever. And she's just like in this Harry Potter dreamscape all the time. And I love it. Oh, that's adorable. And thank goodness for audiobooks. Right? Yeah. They're, I mean, she's using the iPad, but in terms of the screen time pyramid that I like to go by, that is like a free a freebie yeah it's barely even on the pyramid right how about your kids well I told you about the bloody shark backpack right no (laughs) okay then I bet that sentence sounded really weird (laughs) (laughs) so I go to get my kids backpacks it's the day before school started for us which was a full week before school was starting for the rest of the county like the public school so I thought we had plenty of time I take them to Burlington to try and get a backpack they're totally out so then I take them to Walmart they have a few I just decide that Jay can keep using his backpack because it's just black it's fine and Kenny picks one with sharks on it and only when I get it home do I realize that in addition to the sharks there are like puddles of blood Like, all over this pattern. I'm still baffled. Like, why is this a backpack? Oh, my, for a child. For anyone, but yes, for a child. Like, even a high schooler, I would be like, "Mm, really? So then at the last minute, I had to make all these patches and, like, sew them strategically all on the backpack to cover up the oh my gosh that's so funny and then the first conversation point as soon as jay hops out of the car and like meets his other classmates do you want to know why my brother has those patches all over his backpack he didn't get to pick where they went i got to pick where the patches went on my backpack but my mom had to put kenny's in very special places because of the blood (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> so should we move on to, um, I guess, follow up from all of our episodes? Yeah, we're going to take a little detour from screen time in the news today, listeners. And do some self-reflection. Guys, I read some reviews of Jungle Cruise after we recorded our episode, and I had an intense moment of panic because it seems like our opinion of the movie, which was quite positive, I think we gave it a 4.5 to 5, is really different from most critics out there. And then I had to take a breath and step back and just think about how this proves that parents just have a completely different set of criteria for better or worse. I mean, this movie has a 63% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't horrible. But given that we rated the movie so highly, I thought it might be worth examining what makes a movie good in the eyes of It's My Screen Time 2. So we're kind of working on a unified theory of what makes family content good, and we're going to periodically take some time here on the podcast to zoom out from our show-by-show or movie-by-movie coverage and talk about the big picture. What are we doing here? We've been doing this for several years. I like to think that we have a good eye for what makes things quality for the whole family. Would you agree? Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. So I was just spitballing some top level things that we think about when we're reviewing that are probably not the same as what your general movie or TV critic is thinking about. And the number one thing is basic tolerability. That was the name in which we started this show. Doesn't make us want to gouge our eyes out. And that is still the thrust behind what we watch. We want to find things we can watch with our kids that don't make us crazy. And we want that for you too. Parenthood does not damn you to a lifetime of cocoa melon. And that is, I think, the most important thing behind what we do. Totally. Um, there's this podcast that I have recently started listening to called The Purpose Show, Ali Casaza. I don't know. She's a mom influencer <laughs> and her whole deal is that like the culture at large is kind of always telling parents that parenting is really hard and moms are struggling and we're all like suffering under the burden of raising children and her whole deal is like it doesn't have to be like that. You can be a parent and enjoy it it's it can be fun and like that's kind of our deal with children's media like we want to find things that are fun for everybody to watch and now is the perfect time to do that because as our watch list proves there's a ton of stuff out there guys you don't have to watch the crappy stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) just because your kid gets sucked in by it doesn't mean that you have to watch it because you can easily find something your kid will get sucked into just as well that is more tolerable to you. Mm -hmm. All right. So the second and slightly to me less important factor is appropriateness. And it's safe to say that we started out with less of this being a mandate than it is now. But I think we do definitely look at whether or not the content is good or appropriate for our kids considering their various ages and levels of maturity. I know that I really wasn't doing that at the beginning, but I'm doing it a lot more now. How about you? 
Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's like all criticism is very subjective and I don't know what's appropriate for my 11 year old might not be appropriate for your six year old because maybe my 11 year old has like uh, a scare threshold that is not as high as your six year old. (laughs) Although some days with Jay, I don't know. It just seems to really (laughs) fluctuate. So it's not a perfect scale. We're still working on it, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of dovetails into the idea of balance. It really is about balance in all things when we're watching kids' TV and movies because it's about balancing an engaging plot with concepts that are comprehensible to young kids. It's about balancing simple humor with more sophisticated laughs, balancing education with entertainment. It's all about trying to find that perfect point where things are enjoyable to everyone all around. Mm -hmm. Slightly more important for me at this point than I think for you in your stage of raising your kids is the concept of repeatability. Uh, And that is just, you know, the younger kids are, the more they want to watch things again and again. And I think that's an important factor too, to whether or not it, uh, is good across the board is whether or not grownups can tolerate watching it again and again too. Yeah. And I think that that's really important and doesn't get acknowledged by like common sense media. Um, Common sense media looked at their standards for evaluating shows and it's like very, um, they have a great rubric. It's very scientific, Mm -hmm. I guess. But I think we are different because we're like, how long, how many times can I tolerate this? Yeah. Being in the background as the soundtrack of my daily experience. It's amazing how your opinion of a show softens too as time passes after you've had to watch it a lot. Like you remember when we reviewed Puff and Rock and we both really loved it. And for Mm -hmm. a while there, my kids were watching it all the time. And it was great on the repeatability scale because I still found it really soothing and really pleasant. And even on the bazillionth watch, I could tolerate it. Well, today I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and I saw an ad for a new Chris O'Dowd movie and it looked really good. And I was tearing up watching the preview and I was like, yeah, but Chris, I really want more Puffin Rock. (laughs) (laughs) So repeatability has to be on our scale somewhere. And then I think in contrast with the idea that we started the podcast off with, which was tolerability, something that we've definitely learned to embrace over the course of the podcast is the concept of engagement. Through all of our screen time in the news reading, we have learned that that is the number one thing that makes screen time for kids okay I don't know that's a horrible way to put it but you know you're not like you don't like you can just turn on the tv and have it be like a very passive experience to keep your kids sitting still in a room so you know that they're safe while you can like take a shower but what we really want is for them to be like learning something from it it doesn't have to be like learning your numbers or letters or whatever like you've talked about how you want your kids to like follow a plot, you know? And I think that is a valuable thing. So shows that are good 
have that and um, are challenging for your kids and you and lead to good conversations. Am I going in the direction you want me to go? <laughs> yes, yes, that is perfect. And I think everything we've read and learned about the perils of screen time really does focus on the perils of passive screen time. Mm-hmm. And to me, this engagement factor is what really alleviates some of the guilt associated with having screen time with your kids. So based on these criteria and the ones we haven't been able to fully articulate yet, not that we necessarily articulated any of those in a great way, The Jungle Cruise was a hit for us in a way that it wasn't a hit for more traditional critics. More artistic judgments are definitely important, but maybe not as important for our purposes. So thank you for letting us blather on about that a little bit. Hopefully it clarified things for you. I clarified things for me, helped me work out any guilt I might have about not having similar opinions to quote-unquote real critics about the Jungle Cruise. How about you, Deborah? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that you need to feel bad about liking something that a paid film critic didn't like as much as you. I think it's fine. Spoken like someone who is engaged with a lot of children's television content. You're right. It would be boring <laughs> if we were all the same. <laughs> I wish I knew the Daniel Tiger song for that because I would sing it right now. All right. Should we move on to our main topic for the day? Yeah. Paw Patrol the movie. Woohoo. Guys, Paw Patrol the movie was just released on August 20th in theaters and on Paramount Plus. It's rated G. It's the perfect length, 88 minutes. Directed by first-time director Andrew Hickson and Cal Brunker, who is also credited as a writer. It was written by Billy Frolic, who has the best last name ever and wrote the first Madagascar movie, although as far as I can tell, none of the sequels are offshoots. It stars some of the cast from the show, like the voices of Sky, Rocky, Rebel, and Marshall, but there's a new voice of Zuma, Chase, and Ryder. And there are also new side characters voiced by better-known actors like Dax Shepard, Randall Park, Yara Shahidi, and Jimmy Kimmel. So as if you don't know, listeners, (laughs) what rock have you been living under? Uh, This movie is based on the show that began running in 2013 and is still going strong on Nick Jr. with many iterations that have the core of six pups as superheroes, spies, and dinosaur caretakers, but this kind of takes them back to their roots in the quote-unquote real world, and it finds the pups moving from their idyllic hamlet of Adventure Bay to Adventure City to fight takeover plans by Mayor Humdinger, who is a recurring villain on the original show. He's mayor of a lesser town called Foggy Bottom and he has always tried to take over Adventure Bay and in the movie he has larger aspirations to take over Adventure City. Why did we pick it? We rarely revisit properties. I was thinking about it. Was the only other time we revisited something we had already reviewed when I made you watch Zombies 2 because I really liked Zombies? Yeah, that was okay though. That was good. <laughs> But Paw Patrol is really such an enduring favorite. It was already going strong when we started this podcast four years ago. 
(laughs) And it's still a juggernaut. It seems to be worth reconsidering. And I don't know under what circumstances you watched it, Deborah, but my husband was out of town. I was alone with my kids all weekend. This was already happening anyway. So obviously I felt we should cover it on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kids knew it was coming out. So if it weren't a pandemic, we would have made it a big theater outing. But instead we got a trial from Paramount Plus. <laughs> Watched it. Do you still watch a lot of Paw Patrol at your house? Are your kids into it? We're on a downswing. I'm confident it will come back up. But for now, we have not been watching very much Paw Patrol. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's more of a preschool show, early elementary show. My daughter loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it so much. She wanted all the Paw Patrol pups and she played endless games with them and she loved this one t-shirt she would wear it every chance she got and then um last year in 2020 she kind of returned to it sort of like adults started what were like re-watching the office and friends like for her it was I think like pandemic driven like this is comforting I loved this when I was a little kid it makes me feel safe gives me the warm fuzzies so we didn't watch it for a long time but got back she got back into it and then they were all excited for the movie because Tony had watched it as a little kid and so he had fond memories of it so I wasn't sure if he would want to watch it but he did Oh, I love that. I love that his uh, childhood nostalgia has already kicked in. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the track record of movies based on existing shows like Pokemon, My Little Pony, The Simpsons movie, (laughs) which my boys just recently watched and now they've been singing that spider pig song all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the appeal? I'm willing to say that it's just like a crass money grab based on the entertainment industry. It's like if they know something as successful as a television show, of course people are going to pay to see it in the theater and make extra money and then they can create merchandise and people will buy it and then they'll make even more money. So what do you think? Well, I feel somewhat silly for not knowing this, but how much more money do you think a movie makes than a successful long running TV show? That's a great question. Because you got to figure like more Paw Patrols are probably pretty cheap to churn out at this point. Like they know the formula, they know what works and it's super successful. So to a certain extent, I'm like, why mess with the formula is making a movie maybe a way to try and drag in the few remaining people who are not already watching the Paw Patrol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Because maybe see people would see it in the movie, see it in the theater, see it as a movie, and then be introduced to the show. That's a good point. And I also haven't seen much movie-related merch. Like I was just in Target and Walmart fairly recently, and it was—I mean, Paw Patrol still has a chunk of an aisle, but I feel like it's the same chunk of an aisle, and it's the same merch. 
from the TV show that I've been seeing. I didn't see anything that was specifically geared towards the movie. That surprises me. Surprised me too. So should we talk about the concept on the plot? Did we like it? As someone who has probably watched more of the recent Paw Patrol than you have, I was really glad to see our return to... I mean, it's hard to say the pups live in the real world because obviously they don't. But, you know, in this instance, they're not superheroes. They're not spies. They're not interacting with dinosaurs. It felt like them returning to their roots in a certain way, even though the movie was obviously a lot more splashy than the TV show is. I really thought of it as more of a return to form and a return to what made the original Paw Patrol so charming. Yeah, they're not mighty pups. They're not messing around with different costumes. Yeah, I can see that. I liked it more than I thought I would. Sophisticated isn't the right word for (laughs) a Paw Patrol movie, but compared to the television show, I thought that the movie was quite a bit more sophisticated. And that made me think of when we interviewed um, Nikki Lopez, creator of Santiago of the Seas, and she mentioned something about they did the best that they could with the animation based on the TV budget that they had. And as somebody who doesn't work in that industry, I don't ever think about the difference between creating TV shows and creating movies, and this clearly had a much bigger animation budget and a different goal for the script. Right. So they add another girl dog to the team. Liberty. She's cute. Mm-hmm. What type of dog is she? Is she like a spaniel? Well, she is long, so she's a wiener dog, right? Okay. I think so. Okay, but she had those long ears. I'm not a dog person. I think there are some wiener dogs that have like the fluffy ears. But yeah, she definitely had like Lady in the Tramp Cocker Spaniel ear vibes. Yeah, um, but they didn't include Everest. This show, the sticking point has been from the beginning, or one of my sticking points from the beginning has been why they don't have more girl dogs. Like, they have six dogs on the team. Why was it only ever five boys and one girl? Yeah, that's like a real throwback to 80s shows. Yeah. our, Our childhood. It's like when they were developing the concept they it didn't occur to them that it would appeal to girls uh so then they tacked on Everest who is like the husky she lives on the mountain but she's only part of the team sporadically but then they also over the course of the run have added several other boy dogs I just I I don't get it (laughs) also on behalf of my younger sister why can't Zuma just be a girl So the first, the opening scene of the movie is really adorable because it involves this little baby sea turtle who is having trouble crossing the freeway. Which is such a classic early Paw Patrol plot is the turtles trying to get across like the one seafront road in Adventure Bay. Mm -hmm. And then a semi-truck driver has a near miss, but has a big accident, is completely in peril and then expresses like total dismay when he finds out that the emergency services are provided by puppies. I thought that was pretty funny, but then it doesn't even come up when they move to righting wrongs in Adventure City. 
Like, doesn't Adventure City have its own emergency services team? I know. And even in the logic of this world, maybe they have their own team of puppies that has been maintaining order. <laughs> like, and what happens to Adventure Bay? Do they have, like, a B team on call that can be there if, like, I don't know, Mayor Goodway's luau goes wrong? Right. I don't know. So... <laughs> Chase is definitely still like the main pup and the story revolves around him and he's having like sort of a crisis of confidence. What did you think about the choice to foreground the police pup? Well, Chase has come in for some heat recently, Mm -hmm. mainly in that there was some talk that Paw Patrol was going to get rid of the police pup after protests about police brutality that was never on the table but it was going around as like a right-wing talking point so it made me wonder how long this had been sitting on the shelf because I think they could just as easily have foregrounded another of the dogs with a very similar story like we had never heard about Chase's origins in Adventure City before this point, it could have just as easily been Marshall who was adopted from the mean streets of Adventure City. Mm -hmm. I did like the origin story. I liked that Chase got vulnerable and revealed some of his insecurities. It made me think a lot. We just had the Summer Olympics and Simone Biles got the twisties and um, it's good for us to see pups who are in prominent positions um advocate for uh good mental health practices and for his co-workers to emphasize to him that that's okay yeah so I live in Minneapolis and there's an election coming up a municipal election coming up and public safety is like number one about all else because of everything that happened that's happened over the last many many years so a more realistic storyline would have been for me if chase had been like am i really the pup for the job here do people really need law enforcement right now maybe they need a social worker Mm -hmm. can we get a social worker in here who's got some mental health training and can maybe provide a hot meal, get people a warm bed. And that could have been Liberty's job instead of like her whole thing is that she's street smart and she understands the city. Mm -hmm. I have not watched the TV show in a long time. Is Mayor Humdinger always this evil? Yeah, pretty much. He is always this evil. Uh, So he comes in and becomes mayor of Adventure City on a technicality. And this is really the perfect time for a bizarre election plot, which feels weird to say in August. But we have a lot of bonkers election stuff going on in this country right now. Yeah, and it's super timely to have like a very narcissistic, very corrupt politician, no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on. And I guess we can all be glad that we don't have Mayor Humdinger. That's something we can probably all agree on. Hashtag Humdinger. (laughs) Hashtag Humdinger 2022. (laughs) He is a great, great villain. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Lots of laughs. Yeah. So what did you think about the writing and the script and the dialogue? It was definitely more self-aware than the show. 
Starting with the moment that you mentioned where the truck driver actually points out the absurdity of having the pups in charge of rescuing people and solving crimes and whatnot. Like the show would never really broach that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I've always been super curious about where Ryder gets his money. So they move to Adventure City and they have this huge high rise headquarters and one of the pups, I think it may have been Sky, I don't know, was like, how do we afford this? And Ryder just comes out and says, merch sales. Mm-hmm, that was really funny. Because <laughs> I can believe it, Ryder. I really can. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so thoughts on the cast and the characters? And Did anybody stand out? Did you love or hate anybody? I looked at the cast before I watched the movie. Did you? I looked at it after I read your document. Okay. So, so I, I didn't I was, recognize any voices. I was on the lookout for these more prominent voices. And because none of them, with one exception, which I'll get to in a minute, none of them were part of the core cast of Ryder and the Pups, it mm-hmm. just felt like they were wasted. Like, why did they even invest in talent like this? Yara Shahidi's character in particular, I thought was just totally wasted yeah um and then you have Dex Shepard and uh Randall Park they're just like the mayor's bodyguards like I guess they have a couple gag moments but it felt like a a weird use of the bigger name talent and Jimmy Kimmel do you think I don't really know if those actors have kids and if they have young kids do you think it's like they got attached to the Paw Patrol movie because their kids are super into it. That is a really good point. I did not consider that, but yeah, I can believe that being like, I could just see Dax Shepard sitting around the like family dinner table being like, well, yeah, kids, mommy was in Frozen, but... I did just want to mention that they replaced the voice of Chase with like the one big name kid actor that I actually knew was voiced by the little boy who plays young Sheldon on the television show that is a spinoff from the Big Bang Theory. And he played Ziggy and Big Little Lies. So they definitely felt like they needed to have an actor with more heft to pull off this crisis of conscience that Chase was having. And he did a nice job. It was very, very well done. I felt bad for whoever the poor boy is who voices Chase on the actual show. Yeah, but maybe like his voice changed. No, they have definitely cycled out actors over the years because it has been since 2013. So uh, there are a couple of them that are still the same as they ever were. Like I think Rubble is the same, but they've definitely cycled out voices. I did not know that. You are a close watcher of Paw Patrol. (laughs) I just got to get that engagement, (laughs) those engagement numbers with my children high. So I have to watch. (laughs) So now let's talk about the look of the movie. So the animation was much more incredibly detailed than the television show. I loved the different machines that they use. Like it seemed like each pup had a new vehicle with brand new super awesome features to debut and the I mean it's not a camera but like the way it was drawn is like was definitely like car commercial just like 
the gay like the the gaze of the camera was on the car and it was just like a very can I say like sexy yeah unveiling yeah <laughs> as someone who does not care about that stuff yeah. That kind of extended sequence where Chase gets his like new sweet ride for Adventure City and they're like focusing on all the gauges and like you see all these like like you were saying very sexy car commercial shots. I was like, ugh, can we just get to it already? And then they show him like shooting out of the new headquarters into what appears to be their own lane of traffic. <laughs> Seriously, the money. <laughs> Some of them were um pretty inventive. Like there was a water cannon that shot like enormous ball cannonballs of water to put out fires. I don't know. It was inter- it was entertaining. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of merch, like that has to be an idea behind these new vehicles that they're eventually going to be made and sold to kids, which is why I was shocked to not see any new merch when I was out shopping. Yeah. So you looked it up. So Guru Studio, which is based in Toronto, did the animation, does the animation for the show, but the movie was made by the Montreal office of French studio Micros Image, who also animated one of my quote unquote favorites, the (laughs) Captain Underpants movie. Your face. I mean, <laughs> that was priceless. Guys, Deborah just went on a whole journey trying to say the word favorites about the Captain Underpants movie. Oh my gosh. Speaking of repeatability, <laughs> oof, my kids have a love of that movie that I will never understand. <laughs> so, what grown up movie or TV show were you able to compare this to? Well, speaking of the extended uh, musical montages of the vehicle action scenes, it made me think of the Fast and the Furious movies because it's like a gang of like a crew who's working for one goal and they're all like big gearheads Uh at the same time. So that was my main comparison. How about you? Oh my gosh, our heads must have been in the same place because not to skip ahead, but this was totally my gritty HBO reboot was I wanted a crossover movie. So I wanted like the one they released this summer was F9, right? So I want like F10 to be a crossover with the Paw Patrol because I can just see like Vin Diesel and The Rock like interacting very seriously with these computer animated pups. I think technology has come far enough to make this happen. They've already been to the moon. I think this is the next logical step. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. And people would be into it. And talk about engagement with our kids. It would be great. (laughs) Did you cast a gritty HBO reboot? Yeah, this, this is a... Go on this journey with me. Do you remember... um, comedian Sarah Cooper and she did those TikTok videos that was her lip syncing to Trump's like jibber jabber yes I do for a minute I was gonna say you lost me at TikTok but I guess yes I do remember that (laughs) you don't have to have a TikTok subscription 
log in to see account like, account right <laughs> i don't know profile what is technology right <laughs> and remember the silly egg opening toy youtube videos that we reviewed way back in the day remember they are a part of my life now in a way that they were not then but go on okay so i would love to see somebody with a nice collection of paw patrol figurines dub or lip sync the paw patrol toys over real housewives dialogue I think that could be really funny. That does sound amazing. And I wish we could game this out because I don't have a good enough familiarity with any of the Real Housewives franchises to be like casting appropriately. Do you? Me neither. But I just read a profile of Kathy Hilton because she's new on one of the Housewives of New York, maybe. Um, I've never gotten into it, but the algorithm would really love that. I would really love to see Sky just unleashing some serious, like, table-flipping energy. <laughs> I like where this is going. I like it a lot. So do you think it was better when we were kids? Have you Did, did this remind you of any, like, TV-to-movie crossovers that you watched when you were younger? Not really, um, but because the toys are so enmeshed with the show... It reminds me of those 80s properties like Care Bears where like, which came first, the toys or the show? I actually have no memory of a Care Bears show, but the first Care Bears movie, man, that is like indelibly etched on my brain. I loved that movie so much. Yeah. How about you? Do you think it was better when you were a kid? I have a lot of fond memories about things like the Care Bears movie, but I'm willing to bet that they were 9,000 times less tolerable to parents than this was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you ever watch the Paw Patrol movie alone voluntarily? No, but that's because (laughs) my kids liked it a lot and I'm sure I'll watch it again. As we're recording this, yeah, I've definitely watched it a hair over three times and uh, (laughs) I do not need to be watching it by myself. (laughs) should we do 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids we have a good age range to like explore this one yeah um it was good for all my kids uh tony my 11 year old he was fine watching it one time i don't think he's gonna watch it again but and we had my niece and nephew over we're a little bit younger and it's right up my nephew's alley he's four super into it Yeah, I think there were things to like here for both of my kids. The three-year-old was laughing a lot. The six-year-old thought he was too cool for it when we started the movie. And by the end, he was totally into it. (laughs) Ratings? You go first. I would give it a four (laughs) and a half. (laughs) That delivery was spot on. That's good audio. (laughs) That is good audio. You know what? I looked back on our rating for the original Paw Patrol. We gave it a 3.5. I kind of think I stand by that for the movie. I find Paw Patrol to be perfectly tolerable, but it's nowhere near my favorite of shows for the preschool set. 
And I kind of mm-hmm. felt the same about the movie, even though it was prettier to look at. So maybe I would nudge up to a four just because as a grown up, it was a bit more visually interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of It's My Screen Time too. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even on Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Screen time, screen time. Bye. Bye. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time.